podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Metz. Today we are a few games for the Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, we have one that we won't talk much about because nobody really wants to talk about that anymore. I think you guys can guess which one that is. Um, and then two that uh, that happened earlier in the week last week um, for the basketball team. Yes, basketball season has started. Means that uh, I have... Joining me now, my basketball cohort over at Rock Chalk Talk, Steve Fetch, our basketball editor over there. Fetch, how are you doing tonight? Hey, all pretty good. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Like I had said earlier, I'm I'm glad the basketball season is here. That uh, ball much anymore. Um, rather than bringing Mike on to do a very painful and not very informative football recap, we're going to take care of our football recap here really quick in that Kansas linebackers were absolutely horrible, leaving uh, TCU tight ends really bad touchdowns. Uh, Jalen Daniels was very ineffective uh, for a good portion of the game, and Kendrick came in and made a few plays, but also turned the ball over a few times, and Kansas got absolutely walloped. So anything else you think we need to cover from the game? Uh, no, I mean, I think I probably watched about a quarter and a half, so I don't really have – I don't really have much more to add. So glad, glad the season's yeah. almost over. So to be honest, I mean, I watched nearly the whole game because I'm sick and I had to watch nearly the whole game for whatever reason. But uh, I think you probably watched more than most Kansas fans. Did. That is that is definitely nothing to hold against you. The fact that you didn't watch more than a quarter of the game. So instead, we're going to go ahead and turn to basketball. Um, obviously, the season started. Kansas had two opening games. Uh, I'm sorry, two games in the opening weekend. Zaga losing that game 102 to 90 and then winning the next day against St. Joseph's 94 to 72. Um, For my, I guess my first question is anything that stood out to you from either of those games that we just have to talk about right off the top? Well, I think, you know, to take them in in chronological order here, um, I think the final score of that Gonzaga game kind of, um, paints a, a little bit worse picture of how they played than than how they actually played. Um, you know, the the first five to ten minutes of that game were pretty awful. Uh, you could tell Kansas hadn't played the other very often. Uh, you could tell they were just kind of, you know, overwhelmed by by playing their first real basketball game of the year. And, and on the flip side, you know, Gonzaga is a team that uh, was returning a ton of talent and, and even, you know, the, the new guys that they were bringing in um, were experienced basketball players like, uh, you know, Andrew Demard, who uh, played a couple of years for Florida. He got a waiver and, and got to play right away. So they, they were a little bit more cohesive and you you certainly saw that. Um, but, you know, Kansas won the, the kind of middle part of that game. I mean, they outscored Gonzaga by, by 10 points in those middle uh, 20 minutes or so. So, um, they were essentially even with, you know, 10 or so minutes to go. So um, obviously the final score didn't look very pretty, and, and some of the numbers uh, sure didn't look very pretty. But um, on the whole, uh, especially when you compare it to how some of the other, you know, top-ranked teams did over the weekend, um, I think you actually have to be um, pretty satisfied and, and pretty happy with how that one went. Yeah, I mean, you know, I obviously didn't like the fact that they got you, but – you know, Gonzaga was shooting lights out from three to build the big lead. And then at the end, when, you know, when Abaji uh, got his fourth foul and was off the floor for a good portion of that, you know, final 10 minutes there um, until the final sprint, 
like with him off of the floor, it was all downhill for Kansas there. Um, you know, which which we'll we'll talk about that in a minute because I think I was pleasantly surprised by what Abaji was able to bring to these particular games. But you know, it, it, like you were saying, like Kansas got completely outmatched and just like blown off the floor. They really fought back. They really kind of made this a game until the best player on the floor for them that night wasn't really able to continue to play because obviously he was in foul trouble. Um, you know, saying this was very clearly more about Gonzaga being the clear cut number one right now, just because of all the talent they have and how well they played together. Um, something that you don't necessarily see from the most talented teams early in the year. Um, you know, this, this reminds me of where, you know, teams like Duke um, or Kentucky would get off to a blazing start um, and then struggle a little bit in the end, and people would catch up to them towards the end and really compete with them as they got more cohesive, you know, and the overall parts come together. And so, you know, we're, we're kind of looking at a similar situation where Gonzaga is going to get off to a really hot start. And of course, their most, their, their most difficult games are going to be early in the year. And then they're going to go into that conference play, and you wonder how well they're going to be able to keep that edge and how much everyone else can, you know, as they're playing the, those much tougher conference schedules. And, of course, assuming we get to the, the NCAA tournament without a gigantic disruption of most of the actual season, um, you know, this will probably follow the kind of the pathway that we get is that one team dominates early them as the runaway favorite to win the national title. And then by the time we actually get to the tournament, it's a lot more crowded of a field than a lot of people are actually expecting it to be. Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. And I think obviously, you know, Gonzaga is having that uh, that continuity and obviously they have a, a ton of talent as well. Um, and just, you know, matchup issues across the board too with guys who can score inside and outside. I mean, that's a lot for, for young guys to handle. And uh, it sounds like you, you know, David McCormick was, was dealing with a leg injury and, and still is. And it sounds like Dewan Harris, who, um, you know, came on and had a really strong performance in St. Joe's is also uh, hurt as well. So, you know, if Harris is able to play more and, and McCormick is able to play a little bit better, um, certainly not suggesting that Kansas would win the game or anything like that. But, um, you know, watching watching David McCormick, I mean, he was just getting abused over and over and over again by guys who are, you know, frankly slower than he is. So um, I have to think that that's, you know, an, an issue related to his injury more so than anything else. Um, even with, you know, how low I am on him uh, overall, uh, the fact that he was just getting beat off the dribble repeatedly by, like I said, guys who are slower than him, I think seems to suggest maybe that there's something physically going on and that we can, you know, look forward to him improving a little bit uh, over the, the course of the next couple of weeks here. Yeah, because see last year was him getting beat by guys, you know, for being slow. Like, it wasn't that he was a slow and, you know, not moving well kind of player. It was more or less that he was out of position. He wasn't necessarily as much out of position this time. It just seemed like he was a step late. And that I hadn't heard about his injury actually until you just said something there. So um, on Twitter to kind of see what, what had been said after those games. So um, yeah, it's definitely good to hear that there was at least something that could physically be explaining what's going on and that he's not going to be an absolute liability down low all, all year long. Um, and of course I would expect that to get better anyway, you know, as much as he was in there, you know, last year, he was really only spelling Doke and there wasn't a whole lot of pressure for him to be the guy that needed to be able to play a whole bunch of minutes to be able to do that. Um, however, you know, the fact that he looked as poor as he did at times, um, you know, which may be due to injury, 
um, you know, it kind of opened up the door for Kansas to go really early to what's being dubbed the five guard lineup, even though several of the players that actually played the five in those, you know, lineups are actually forwards. Um, it just seems a lot easier to, you know, talk, talk about our lineup when a guy like Jalen Wilson is playing your five. Um, you know, I thought that that lineup actually worked really, really well for Kansas at times. Um, was was there anything about that particularly that, that stood out to you or any kind of thoughts that you have about why that works so well? Well, I, I think first I, I want to say, too, uh, speaking of guys that I'm uh, usually a little bit lower on than everyone else, Mitch Lightfoot, I think, uh, played really well in those two games and hasn't gotten a lot of uh, playing time to show for it. Um, you know, he played – uh, five minutes against St. Joe's and nine minutes against Gonzaga. And I guess I don't, you know, really understand why I'd have to probably go back and, and rewatch, but, um, you know, defended well, looked like he played, you know, within the flow of the offense pretty well and stuff. So I like to see him get some more minutes. Um, but as far as the, uh, you know, the five smalls lineup, yeah, Jalen Wilson, I mean, you know, he's a guy who remade his body a lot. They were talking about uh, in the off season, definitely shed some weight, uh, looks to be a lot more explosive. Um, really helpful on the offensive glass. You know, he's, he's leading the team in offensive rebounding by a, a huge margin. Um, not doing so great on the defensive glass, which I think just shows that, uh, you know, he's using his uh, mobility and, and kind of, you know, the fact that teams aren't, you know, necessarily looking to, to block out when you got five little guys on the floor uh, and he can sneak in and kind of grab those offensive rebounds with his quickness. And, and uh, I mentioned this on Twitter too, but, uh, he's going to go to the line a, a lot if he's going to be playing at the five because um, not only is he going to grab offensive rebounds and get fouled, but I think you can definitely isolate him out on the perimeter and let him take some some big men uh, to the hole, and, and they're going to probably have no choice but to foul him. So um, he's leaving the team in, in free throws taken so far, uh, only shooting 58%, though, so he's got to get that number up a little bit and, and uh, you know, I'd like to see him shoot some more threes too and, and really expand that offensive repertoire and, and really show off, you know, how much of a, a mismatch he can be. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely interesting to kind of see what he can do. And there's a lot of potential there for him. I'm surprised that they threw him in, in that, you know, where, where they did, but, Kind of like you, I was a little surprised that, that Mitch Lightfoot didn't get more run in this, especially with the fact that McCormick was was having problems. Because the one thing that Mitch was has always been able to do, he's always that can come in and play really good defense and do a lot of things you wouldn't necessarily expect him to be able to do, you know, in those kind of weird situations. Um, you know, I, I thought they would kind of try to lean a, a little bit more on him being the senior that he is. Um, you know, and having styles that they play, that they would have leaned on him pretty early. But it, it seems pretty clear that that Bill Self went into these games not necessarily expecting much from anyone in terms of you know how they wanted to play or who they wanted to play in certain situations. That it was going to be throw a whole bunch of a bunch of stuff at the wall and see. Um, you know, especially in that game against Gonzaga, where it was you know a team that was supposed to be really good that was going to give them an opportunity to really evaluate a lot of those lineups. So, I mean, I thought it was like, I, I, I can understand the reasoning behind it now after the fact, but I was definitely surprised in the moment when that Lightfoot wasn't the guy that was getting a lot of minutes. And instead, a lot of those minutes seemed to go to uh, go to Wilson or to some of the other guys that were, you know, kind of out there randomly throughout the game. So um, any other big thoughts that you wanted to take away from either of these two games? 
Well, I suppose we should talk about, uh, you know, Christian Brown's star turn with the 30 points against St. Joe's. Um, you know, we talked about his, his three-point shooting last year and how he could shoot uh, off the catch, shoot off the dribble, and, and kind of thought that uh, he's going to have to shoot a lot more this year and, and be more aggressive if Kansas is going to get to where they need to go, especially because it, it definitely looks like he's going to be the best shooter on the team. Um, he's only gotten better at shooting the ball so far, you know, shooting uh, seven for 11 from three so far this year. Obviously, that's going to go down, but, um, you know, I liked how aggressive he was in that St. Joe's game, you know, pulling the trigger when he was even maybe guarded a little bit and, and uh, you know, obviously that pump fake and, and taking the ball to the hole, you know, he's big enough to score inside, um, both in terms of, of height and just his, you know, strength. Um, and obviously when you can shoot the ball like you can, you, you have to come out and respect it. So uh, definitely I think in line for a, a big season and, and give Kansas another uh, weapon on the wing. Um, so, I mean, he's looking like a potential, you know, all Big 12 type guy already, which is something that I, I thought was a possibility maybe as like a senior where he'd be just a really solid role player until then. But looks like he's a, ahead of schedule. And then Dewan Harris came in and played some really nice minutes in St. Joe's, um, leading the team in assist rate so far. Obviously, he, you know, has barely played. So that's, you don't know, take that with a grain of salt. But uh, played really well, made his only shot. Um, was just, you know, really steady and, and played good defense as well. So um, I think that's nice for a couple of reasons. One, you know, it's always nice to have more ball handlers. And two, um, if he can come in and, and be the backup point guard rather than then having to foist, uh, force, excuse me, Bryce Thompson to do it, um, even though I think that, you know, Bryce Thompson playing the point would help him in terms of his pro prospects, um, in terms of, you know, college basketball, I think he's better suited off the ball. So, uh, that's a, a big help as well. Uh, so it's nice to see uh, Kansas have some guys step up. And then, you know, lastly, I think we should talk about Ochai. I mean, a lot of stuff um, was talked about in the offseason about him changing his shot. I mean, Jesse Newell came on the preview show, mentioned that a lot. I was, of course, skeptical. Um, so far, it looks like I'm, I'm taking a big fat L on that one. And obviously, certainly we forgive happy you. to do so. <laughs> yeah, certainly happy to do so. I mean, we'll we'll see about, you know, what happens when the uh, team tries to slow it down a little bit and when he has to handle the ball and, and make a few more passes and stuff like that. I mean, I still think that uh, he's not a great ball handler and not a great passer. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens when he gets forced into doing that a little bit. But, yeah, him scoring in transition, him taking one or two dribbles and going to the hole, and then, uh, you know, his jump shot sure looks a lot better. And uh, he's still the, the really good on-ball defender like he was last year. So. Uh, three three big pluses for Kansas going forward, and and like I said with that Gonzaga game, I mean I'm I'm a lot more positive on this team than I expected to be coming out of the first couple of games. Yeah, I mean it was it was definitely a little weird, kind of the way everything kind of started here. And you know I will say I I don't remember who it was I saw on Twitter that said it it, it might have been you actually um, that these first two games like really played towards or like the really lent themselves to playing to Abaji's strengths where it allowed him to do a lot of things and make him look a lot better than he's going to be when we get into like the, the defensive slugfest inside the big 12 conference this year, you know, and if they slow him down, like his, his best work is done when he is and quickly, if he's making a pass, it's a quick pass that's in transition or, you know, like 
it's he gets the ball and immediately passes on to the next guy, those sorts of plays. As long as everyone's moving, as long as they're doing it in the natural flow of the offense, it's fine. But if he has to find the pass, if he has to create the offense that way, then he is really not well suited to that right from what we've seen last year from him. So um, these first two games were so fast that, yeah, it definitely allowed him to kind of highlight the strengths that he has. We'll see how long that actually lasts. Um, it's a similar sort of situation though. Like I'm looking at, um, this kind of reminds me a little bit of how, um, Christian Brown started last year where he came in in very limited minutes, looked pretty good in those, in those small minutes. Um, but didn't really get an opportunity to expand his role until someone else went out that gave him an opportunity to kind of step into another role. Um, I I hit a sort of trajectory this year, but they're not really going to force the issue with him. Um, unless he gets an expanded an expanded opportunity because of someone else needing to be out either for really early foul trouble, you know, or some sort of injury, which hopefully doesn't happen. Um, I, I do think back to your point about invest on the ball and more off the ball in college. I don't I don't know that this is like him being the five star prospect, like the you know the the, the clear cut guy in terms of recruiting from this last class. Um, I, I get the feeling that like under normal circumstances cater anything to Bryce Thompson but given the fact that you know all the NCAA stuff that's kind of hanging over them I don't know that they're consciously doing this but I think they're might probably going to defer to Thompson a little bit more than they normally would just to try to make sure that he's as, as he can potentially be um, now obviously if, if they're you know allowing him to be the second ball handler and it's not working well they're not going to keep pushing it just to you know show pro teams that he can actually do that somewhat um, like it's definitely going to be making Kansas is able to do and all that kind of stuff. But I do think that Thompson's going to be featured just a little bit more than we would normally expect um, just because of kind of all the situation surrounding it. And the fact that Kansas really doesn't have a guy, especially offensively um, who is like go-to guy coming into the year. Christian Brown is a guy that could step up into that role. Ochai Abaji could step up into the role, but Garrett, you know, as, as good as his offense was, um, you know, in, in terms of his cuts to the basket and stuff during that Gonzaga game, um, you know, he wasn't really the main driver of the second game against St. Joe's. And so, like, I don't think that he is going to be the guy night in and night out that is going to be pushing the offense. They're going to be looking to one of those other three, either Brown, Abaji, or Thompson, to really do that and to really start to really create the offense and actually find their own shots. Which one of those guys steps up the most consistently early in the season Right now, it looks like the smart money on either, you know, the, the smart money is on Brown, most likely, or Abaji. Um, but we'll have to see, obviously, you know, as we get a few more games under their belts. There, there's a lot of potential here. Uh, I'm definitely seeing a lot of different things that I'm liking so far. But with how crazy this season has been so far already, and it's not even a week old, like, it'll be interesting to kind of see how all of that plays out. So, all right, I do want to go ahead and turn to the games coming up before we do that any any well i think you know with with bryce um one other kind of factor i think probably with him playing on ball is the fact that he really looks more comfortable shooting the ball uh, off the dribble than he does the catch and shoot um looks a lot more in rhythm a lot smoother uh when he catches and shoots it he kind of takes a while to do it has this kind of like sweeping shot motion so if, if he sticks around for more than one year um, probably going to do some work on that in the offseason to try to get a little bit better you know and I'm not a big you know shot motion guy I think as long as you're consistent and it goes in who cares but 
uh, the fact that it takes so long for him to do it and he's kind of bringing it across his face and stuff, um, I think they're probably going to want to fix that. But he seems to he seems to not do that as much off the dribble. So that's another thing I think that um, makes them, um, you know, makes them uh, more uh, willing more. to put him on. Yeah, put him on the ball. I, I wish he would turn some of those uh, pull-up twos into pull-up threes, but I guess, you know, we can work on that as the season goes along. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's, that's going to do it for those, like, kind of looking back on those games. I do want to, before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk podcast. And we're back. All right. So we actually have three games coming up for the Jayhawks this week. And our next episode is going to be a football preview. Uh, unfortunately, we still have to do those until this. Um, we're not going to have a chance to talk about the game that is coming up on Saturday between now and then. So we're going to hit all three of these games real quick. The big game, obviously, is the game against Kentucky that's coming up uh, Well, today. It's out. Uh, on Tuesday, December 1st against Kentucky uh, in the Champions Classic that's going to be up in Indianapolis. Um, You know, this game lost, I thought, a little bit of its luster when Kentucky got upset by Richmond (laughs) over the weekend, Um, which, honestly, I was a little shocked to see that it's not just Kansas that gets upset by Richmond in, you know, at home early in the season. So, um, you know, I, I was very, very happy to see that, but also very, very surprised. So, Real quick, anything that jumps out to you about this Kentucky team you think we need to talk about off the top? Yeah, well, when you talk Kentucky, I mean, obviously you're talking about a young team always, uh, and you're talking about a team with, with a ton of great athletes, and, and that's no um, no difference here this year. Uh, one thing that jumped out at me just kind of perusing their, their Ken Palm page is they're actually the tallest team in the country, so that's going to be something for Kansas to contend with there. Um, I think, you know, they, they definitely have some size, even though they quote unquote play small, but they've got a lot of guys in that, you know, six, five, six, six range. Um, so that's going to be an interesting, interesting matchup. Um, I do think even though, um, you know, Kansas is quite a bit higher in Ken Palm, I think they're favored both there and in terms of the, you know, the Vegas gambling, all that nonsense. Um, I think in terms of, uh, in early season, I think Kentucky maybe has the advantage in the fact that. Uh, they're just have better athletes than Kansas. And, and, uh, you know, I watched them play against Richmond and it was more of an issue. They, they don't really have anyone who can shoot the ball very well yet. Um, so that's going to be an issue, uh, for them going forward. Um, that's going to be something that I think Kansas can kind of take advantage of. Uh, but in terms of guys who can, you know, get downhill, turn the corner, uh, go to the hole, uh, they have plenty of those guys. Um, one guy who I think is going to be a, a big, big problem is their only senior, um, Olivier Saar, who transferred from Wake Forest, um, mentioned this on Twitter, but he's going to be a, a huge problem for David McCormick, uh, and not just because he's a power five quality basketball player, um, but he can, you know, put the ball on the floor really well, uh, moves really well for his size, uh, really good on the offensive glass. Um, so he's just going to be a handful for, for McCormick or whoever Kansas has down low. Uh, so is Isaiah Jackson. I mean, he's not as mobile um, as Saar, but even better on the offensive glass and, and, you know, almost as big. So he's, and also just a, a super duper athlete. So uh, a couple of big guys with, with really high athleticism for Kansas to deal with inside. I think that's going to be an issue um, all season. I mean, Mitch Lightfoot's a, a good help defender, but in terms of a, a one-on-one post defender is kind of lacking. Um, obviously McCormick can't really get out and guard, especially if he's uh, hurt. Uh, and then, you know, you're, you're putting a lot of pressure on Jalen Wilson or, you know, even if you have like 
Marcus Garrett bodying someone down low, which he can do, or, you know, Tristan Nenaruna played them center last year when uh, McCormick was suspended after that K-State fight and, and uh, Big Delk was in foul trouble. So um, just, just a lot of pressure to put on those guys down low. So KU's guards are going to have to go out and win the game um, if, if they're going to do it, I think. Yeah, it's one of those things, unfortunately, shooting the ball out, you know, on the uh, – or, sorry, at, yeah, at, at shooting out on the perimeter – they seem to be defending pretty well. You know, they seem to be closing out really well on opponent shots. Um, and so it's it's not like a case of where their guards are just not playing very well at all. It's just the heck yet, which is something that can come on pretty suddenly. Um, the one thing I will say, though, like, yes, obviously size is, is kind of a big issue, especially if you're big guy, you know, you're one big guy that's 6'10", um, you know, is, is potentially injured a little bit. You know, I, I do think, though, that this game – is going to be played more on the perimeter in general that yeah Kentucky's going to try to go down low uh quite a bit but the one thing that that Kansas seemed to be doing pretty well especially in that St. Joseph's game for what I was able to watch um is denying entry passes and as long as they're not um you know just able to body up on McCormick or whoever is down low and make it a really easy to get it into the post that Kansas could disrupt some of that and make it a little bit more difficult for Kentucky and that was the one thing that really kind of stood out to me in the bits and did see in that game against Richmond was that they seemed to, there seemed to be a lot of miscommunication between their players, um, you know, that led to bad passes that Richmond was able to take advantage of. And so, you know, you wonder how quickly they're going to be able to get that short up, if that's going to continue at least for the next couple games, uh, you kind of hope it does just to give Kansas, it. Um, you know, this is, this is definitely one where, you know, Kansas for, for all the issues that they had still has a, you know, top five defense and a top 10 offense um, just by Ken Palm ratings early, obviously, in the season. So that's going to fluctuate quite a bit. Um, but, you know, he's expected to be, um, you know, the fact that they they have really good athletes but aren't really as cohesive, um, you know, as we as we normally would see them this early in the season kind of plays to Kansas's advantage a little bit, as much advantage because they are dealing with cohesion issues, um, just, you know, trying to, get big guys into new roles and things like that. So I'll be interested to see how much Bill Self leans on, you know, guys like Jalen Wilson down low or how much Mitch Lightfoot actually gets to play here. Cause like you said, yeah, he's a much better help to fit. He also has some experience going up against guys that are a lot bigger than him and being successful. Like we've actually seen him do that. Um, I'll be interested to kind of see how he does that. And if he can use the fact, you know, that he's a, He's a, he's a fifth-year senior, you know, at this point. has a lot of exposure to the way that Bill Self wants him to play and can kind of he needs to be to disrupt some shots if he is the only big that's in there. So uh, I'll be interested in that. I'm, I'm pretty curious, you know, how exactly this one's going to play out. So, um, you know, we've, we've kind of already talked about some of the players, but, I mean, do, do you think that the Ken Palm line is, is pretty spot on? Dicting it's a 74-71 victory for Kansas. I mean, I think the game is going to be played in that range in terms of the score. Um, but I'm also kind of, you know, wondering just how well Kansas is going to be able to to really do it, what it is that they want to do. If Kansas is going to be successful in this game, I think it's going to have to come on the perimeter. That they're not going to get McCormick's going to have enough, you know, hard enough time with a shot, um, you know, against the guys that are there. And if he's injured, it's going to make it even worse. Yeah, and I think that's why I'll probably take uh, Kentucky uh, to win. Just the athleticism advantage. Um, I, I mean, I, I think that that's going to be huge in a game where 
neither team is all the way there as far as how good they're going to be. I mean, both of these teams are going to improve as much as anyone in the entire country. And, and both, I think, are going to be there, um, you know, in the second weekend in March. But just now, I mean, Kentucky, with that athleticism advantage, with that size advantage inside and, and with Kansas, you know, still trying to figure out what they're doing inside. I mean, is David McCormick healthy? Um, if he is, I mean, I think he can still offer something in the sense that he is a really good rebounder um, and his activity level uh, is good. Sometimes he doesn't exactly know what he's doing or where he's going, but he can still, you know, mess things up for the other team just with his uh, foot speed for a big man and, and athleticism. Um, but if he's hurt, obviously that goes by the wayside. Um, and I don't know that Jalen Wilson, you know, it's one thing to do it against St. Joe's, it's another to do it against Kentucky. So um, we'll see yeah. what he has uh, as well. But I think for those reasons, you know, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards uh, Kentucky, but, but this is one of those games where um, whatever happens, I think I'm going to wake up on Monday or on, uh, excuse me, Wednesday morning and say, yeah, that, that sounds right. I mean, nothing's really going to surprise Yeah, yeah, that, that makes it. Well, too you much. Know, the um, one additional – well, I'll just say the one, the one additional thing that might be in Kansas' favor is the fact that their handler is Devin Eskew, who's a freshman, um, fairly small. Uh, you know, he's a, he's the shortest guy on their entire lineup at 6'3". Um, you know, and going up against a guy like Marcus Garrett or, you know, any of the other perimeter defenders could make it look really kind of set everything up. Um, you know, like the way I'm looking at this, it doesn't even look like they have very many other guys who are actually ball handlers um you know they they have terrence clark handles the ball a little bit for them devion mintz does a little bit much so devin askew who is you know pulling in primary point guard duties and anytime you have a true freshman who's doing that against a senior like marcus garrett who is probably one of the best defenders in the nation that gives you a lot of opportunities i think to disrupt what they're trying to do so that's really i think going to set the tone for this game is just how uh, marcus garrett caused problems for them up top and really prevent them from getting into the offense as they'd like to do. You know, if, if Kansas can cause those problems and force a lot of turnovers, this could be a big blowout Kansas pretty quick. Um, otherwise, if they're really not able to fluster him at all, then it's going to, you know, it, it could potentially be a rough game for Kansas here. So, all right. Any other final thoughts about the Kentucky game before we move on? Well, yeah, I, I think you're right that, you know, I, I watched a little bit of that Richmond game. Not, not a ton because uh, the Vikings were on, so I was watching that mostly, but, um, Kentucky had a, a hard time getting into their offense, a hard time running stuff. I mean, Richmond was, was really uh, gumming up the works a little bit. And, and Richmond's a good team, certainly. Uh, but, you know, if they can do it, you got to figure Kansas is going to be able to do it, too. So uh, one of those things where I think Kentucky's best right. offense is just going to be to throw it up and, and go get the offensive rebound, which um, I, I definitely think they'll be able to do. So it's going to be a matter of, you know, how many of those shots they can, are they going to make? How well is Kansas going to block out? And, and how many turnovers can they force? Yeah, definitely. All right. So up this week, um, on Thursday, December 3rd, is the exhibition game that they have against Washburn. I don't know that we really need to talk about this game other than the fact that it should be a fun game where we get to see a lot of, um, you know, a lot of different lineups. I think this is where we're really going to get to to experiment and kind of see what leads for later in the year. Um, you know, I, I almost always, I also wouldn't put past them to throw out some weird lineups just to get some of that stuff on tape to kind of, you know, make other people think about all the crazy things that he might try to do later. So it should be interesting to kind of see that. But um, looking ahead of on to North Dakota State, was there anything at all you want to say about Washburn or is that about it? 
Well, I think probably the one thing I want to say is that they shouldn't be playing this game. Who cares? It's a game that doesn't count. You know, there's not going to be fans there. There's a friggin' pandemic going on. Uh, they they probably should not play. I don't know. Fair. You know, maybe Washburn's getting something out of it. Maybe, you know, I don't know why just one. I don't know why, like, their contract with Washburn would be different than their one with Fortes or whatever. Whoever else is the other team that's, that's in the rotation. I don't remember which one it is, but. Um, I, I think I it was Emporia, but. Okay. okay. Yeah, I, I don't know why it would be different to play Washington, yeah. but yeah, I think they should probably just uh, take the year off from the exhibitions, especially with it being, you know, two two days after they play Kentucky. I mean, I can't imagine they're going to come out super uh, ready to play. Yeah. No, I mean, it's one of those I can think of to play for this one is that you, you want to get as much game time as possible for a lot of these young guys and try to get them to mesh. But you're right. Like, it's not – obviously, it doesn't mean anything in terms of tournament seating because it doesn't even count for any of that stuff. Um, no one's really going to be able to get to watch it in person. So, like, we'll get to watch, like, all the highlights that come out of that. But it's not really going to mean much. You know, I'm sure that we'll talk about it a little bit over on Rock Chalk Talk. Um, we'll have our, you know, game thread as usual. But, like, it may even be hard to actually find it on TV at this point. So, we'll see if there really is any kind of value to it other than just – I mean, it's at this point – um, which could have its advantages, but the way that they crammed it in the schedule does make you kind of wonder, like, what's going on here? Um, other than, you know, I mean, we we routinely are going to have, you know, three games in a week, few weeks here, just trying to make sure we can cram everything in, um, you know, try to get as close to a normal schedule as possible. Um, obviously, you know, there's always the worry that the pandemic can, can cause some problems and postpone a whole bunch of games and then they're going to have to scramble. So the more, the more you can get in early, get those, those, those reps and kind of get all that going. So, um, kind of same, same thoughts here for the North Dakota state game. I'm not expecting this one to be much of a challenge for Kansas. Obviously, I don't think anybody does considering Ken Palm has them as it looks like 22 point favorites. Um, you know, I mean, much to actually talk about this game. So did you have any kind of interesting factoids you're looking at for this one or or anything at all you want to talk about? I know that they're kind of – North Dakota State is kind of up in the area there for you. So um, right. anything that you've been able to glean that would be interesting to us KU fans? Well, I watched them play a little bit against Creighton uh, over the weekend, and uh, Creighton looks pretty good. Um, yeah, they're just – you know, they're – NDSU's not – not very good. I mean, they, they won the Summit League last year, and um, I think probably will. Again, the Summit League is going to be a little bit down this year, I think. Uh, of course, it's really tough to know with, especially in these lower conferences, I mean, how the pandemic is going to wreak havoc with everything. I mean, you just you just never know uh, what's going to happen. And obviously, right. there's, there's not going to be any fans anywhere, so there's going to be a lot, a lot more parity, I think. But um, in any event, I, I think that they're going to be probably, you know, the best team uh, in the Summit League, um, I just, I actually just, so I, I took a look at their Ken Palm schedule. One little interesting thing that I didn't even really know that the Summit League is doing, but um, they're doing their conference schedule. They're playing uh, um, everybody uh, like back to back. So, <clears throat> for example, uh, NDSU opens up with Western Illinois, Western Illinois, both away. So they're they're not playing home and homes. They're kind of uh, looks like they did it at random where they're playing the team. Um, both at their place or both at uh, the other team's place. So that's kind of uh, weird. And they're playing them all back to back. So they're, I guess, makes sense. They're doing it like Big 12 did in uh, volleyball this year, where they, you played games on back, or you played matches on back to back nights in the same location to minimize travel, to not have to deal with all that, but still, because 
Um, right. So, yeah, it sounds like that's kind of the um, for the, you know, the non-revenue sports and kind of the lower levels of, you know, D1 basketball. It sounds like they're kind of employing a similar sort of strategy to, to make sure they get in all their games, get all that inventory and do everything that they can. It means that some team is probably going to get screwed over by having to have two road games against, you know, some random upstart in the league. Um, but to be completely honest, I don't know that most people are going to, you know, care too much about that unless you're fans of the teams that that happen to get screwed. Yeah. So. yeah. So that's, I mean, that's, that's kind of interesting. But yeah, I watch them play They're You know, they're just okay. They've got, they've got a couple pretty good shooters, um, but nothing, nothing really to write home about their, their best player, Sam Griesel, who, uh, uh, is a junior. He's a, a guard. He's a pretty good player uh, from Lincoln, Nebraska, actually. So that's kind of interesting. Um, somewhat, somewhat local for us, I guess. Um, they they uh, have two North Dakotans on the roster for uh, the first time in the in a couple of years. So that's kind of interesting. Um, I remember one thing Ken Palm did in the past was he he would go through and pick the best player from each state. Uh, as you can imagine, North Dakota is pretty rough because there aren't there aren't too many. Uh, D1 basketball players from North Dakota, but um, you know they're they're just kind of okay. I think, uh, like I said, Kansas is gonna beat them by quite a bit. Um, but but it's one of those things where in the past, you know, it looked pretty good because you're beating a you know a probable conference champ, and that's gonna help with seeding and everything like that. So uh, I, I would prefer to play these games um, in ter- when you're playing cupcakes versus you know the the real real big cupcakes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, at least there's an opportunity to to kind of see a team that's going to be comparable to those early round, you know, the the early round matches you're going to have in the in the NCAA tournament, um, you know. And of course, these are the kind of games that Kansas would schedule to kind of pad that RPI number, um, you know, it's very much par for the course for how Kansas would normally schedule things. And you know, given all the other powerhouses they have on the schedule here, like you need some of these games to kind of recharge and allow your guys to get some some really good reps and work on some things in a low get into those higher ones because you know they have this game against Kentucky which was expected to be a really difficult matchup you know and then you have the North Dakota State game and then the Creighton game shortly after that so like you're you're really kind of you know getting into that point there where you're you're kind of just wanting to have that 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 step back game where you have a little bit of an easier time and can really kind of work on some things so all right, we are down to the wire here. Just have a couple minutes left, so we're we're gonna have to stick to an actual minute today. But do you have a random sports minute for us? Yeah, I do. So uh, Formula One, we've talked about before uh, here. They had the uh, Bahrain Grand Prix this past weekend, and a uh, French driver named Roman Grosjean got into a, a pretty horrific accident uh, on the first yeah. lap. Um, crashed through the uh, the, the barrier. Um, and, and you can go, you should go, go look at this cause you'll be shocked that he's actually alive after this, but, uh, his car basically split in two, which I think they're kind of designed to do. They're kind of designed to break up, but I'm no, yeah, expert. um, and then, uh, it basically exploded, uh, and he was sitting there engulfed in flames for, uh, about 30 seconds and, and actually managed to get himself out of the car, um, oh, get crazy. out and get to the ambulance and everything. Yeah, and uh, if you look at it, so they a few years ago put this uh, this halo device, um, which is basically a, a bar that goes around your your head and and kind of you'd you'd have to Google it. There's no way I could explain it well enough. But they do um, something similar kinda, for for NASCAR. So yeah, so so that thing kind of basically cut through the barrier 
Um, and, and if that wasn't there, his head basically would have gotten crumpled by the barrier. Oh. And, and there's probably, there's probably no way he'd be alive right now, but, um, he actually, he just had some, some burns on his hands. Cause when he had to climb out from the wreckage, he had to put his hands on the barrier to, to climb over and stuff. And obviously from sitting in there, um, as well. Uh, yeah. so he had the, you know, he had that. And, and I think probably I'm sure, you know, has some, some lung issues from inhaling smoke, but I haven't heard anything about that, but. Um, the fact that he, he managed to walk away, and, and I think this is probably going to be his last season racing too. So um, in a weird way, I mean, what a way to, to go out uh, and get in Yeah, an people are going to remember and, it. So. And, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, Formula One obviously is, is very dangerous, but um, they're, they're really committed to, to driver safety and certainly have been since Ayrton Senna died back in uh, the early 90s. Um, and it's just gotten a lot safer and, and all those things definitely, I, I think probably saved a life on Sunday. Yeah. So when I, when I lived down in, uh, in St. Petersburg, Florida, like that was a, one of the things that I actually had picked up on was that they redisk it so that as much of the explosive gas tank would split away from the car on a wreck to, so if it blew up, like you weren't going to have the full force of all of that entire gas tank blown up. So it sounds like the the safety precautions were at least helpful in this particular case. So I do it for us tonight. Thank you guys so much for listening. Fetch, thanks for joining me. If you guys haven't already, you can actually follow what Fetch does and, and all the tweeting he does over at Rock Chalk, at Rock Chalk Talk on Twitter. Um, if if you haven't already, please do go out wherever you get your podcast, first Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other millionaire podcasts by searching for Rock Chalk Podcast. So you can get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments, that'd be great. If not, let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys uh, to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try, you can email me at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or contact me on Twitter at rockchalkpod. Now that we're on Anchor, you can actually leave us a voicemail so your voice can get on the show. Just go to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message and you can leave us a voicemail there. Um, but that'll do it for some catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.